Hello, my friends. D.L. Anderson here. Welcome back to Transformation by Truth podcast as we share the truth concerning these last days and what you must do to save yourself from the violent times that are just ahead. Today's podcast is a word of truth accounting of the end times. The end is coming. The end is near. Today's podcast is entitled, End Times 258, The Favor of the Nation of Israel. The podcast's objectives are, confirm that we are under favor in these last days, analyze what it means to be alive from the dead, analyze how we shall be saved, analyze those who have been given favor, analyze the power we have to see the truth, and analyze the full work of righteousness. This lesson contains timelines and other visuals. Therefore, if you are listening to the podcast, I advise you to watch the video version on our website or YouTube or request a PDF of the lesson so you can add the visual effect. We are under favor. Now, in the most recent podcast, we concluded our evaluation of the law of Moses and the Torah of perfection. In doing so, we came to see how the law is the foundation of the Torah of perfection. They are no longer two separate belief systems. In this day, they are one. For that reason, we are no longer under the law, seeing as the law within and of itself has no purpose in these last days outside of the Torah of perfection to which it was engrafted. My dear friends, we are under favor. Romans 6, 12 through 18 reads, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body to obey it and its desires. Neither present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to Elohim as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to Elohim. For sin shall not rule over you, for you are not under the law, but under favor. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under favor? Let it not be. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves, servants for obedience, you are servants of the one whom you obey, whether of sin to death or of obedience to righteousness? But thanks to Elohim, that you were servants of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of teaching to which you were entrusted, and 
having been set free from sin, you became servants of righteousness. Lo, this is the primary passage of Scripture that contrasts the models of being under the law versus being under favor. And as it has risen to be one of the more critical arguments concerning the restoration message by which we are sealed, I have been led to address it in this podcast. By the end of it, you will understand what Shaul was attempting to convey when he reveals you are not under the law, but under favor. Let's get started. Alive from the dead. Now, as is my custom, we will consider this passage line upon line and work our way to a certain conclusion. In doing so, we find Shaul is, first and foremost, commanding the Romans, saying, Do not let sin reign in your mortal body to obey it in its desires. This introduction is key for many reasons. Besides the fact that it sets the tone in context for the remainder of the discourse, it provides a clear indication of the overarching point Shaul is attempting to make. Consider this. By leading with a warning against sin, we understand the message Shaul is working to convey is established upon a call to resist sin, such that we do not continue in sin by obeying the lusts of our physical bodies. We know this because he goes on to say, neither present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to Elohim as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to Elohim. Now, the key phrase in this verse is, present yourselves to Elohim as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to Elohim. The reason why this declaration is so important is crucial and I will offer it as another interest point. I advise you to bookmark it. The former clause in this passage is a prerequisite to the latter. Accordingly, the only way we can yield our members as instruments of righteousness to Elohim, and in doing so, obtain the eternal salvation is by first presenting ourselves to Elohim as being alive from the dead. Look, here lies one of the most important questions in this entire end time series. I advise you again to bookmark it. The question, what does it mean to present ourselves to Elohim as alive from the dead, and how do we achieve it? 
The answer is sure, and it is found in the leading verses of Romans chapter 6. Romans 6, 1 through 7 reads, What then shall we say? Shall we continue in sin, who let favor increase? Let it not be. How shall we, who have died to sin, still live in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were immersed into Messiah Yahushua were immersed into his death? We were therefore buried with him through immersion into death, that as Messiah was raised from the dead by the esteem of the Father, so also we should walk in the newness of life. For if we have come to be grown together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also of the resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was impaled with him, so that the body of sin might be rendered powerless to serve sin no longer. For he who has died has been made free from sin. My L, now we are getting someplace. And I ask you to stay with me, for the Spirit is leading me to address this matter in a single podcast. And so this podcast will be longer than our normal lessons. But I assure you, you will be blessed if you stay to hear the entirety of this message. Now, back to our question of the hour, i.e., what does it mean to present ourselves to Elohim as allied from the dead, and how do we achieve it? From the leading verses in Romans 6, we understand the death Shaul is referring to is our death to sin. Those of you who know me personally and those of you who have been following our ministry since we launched in 2021, you understand that I have been an outspoken champion of perfection and a sinless life since I received the spirit of Elohim in 1998. Truly, it was not because I had some superlative understanding of the subject matter, being only a teenager. It was because Yahuwah knew I would adhere to this message in the fullness of my time, which, as it pertains to the ministry, is now. Now, as it pertains to my drive for perfection and my fight against sin, it is centered on the passages we have just read. Seeing as there is a great deal here to consider, I will summarize the key takeaways in the following interest point. Here again, I advise you to bookmark it. There is no model of salvation where favor can increase to sustain our continuance in sin. For all who are in the renewed nation of Israel are free from sin. Along these lines, it is impossible 
for us to be set apart or in the process of being set apart if we continue in sin, which suggests we have not overcome sin and thus we cannot persistently yield our members as instruments of righteousness, the key word being persistently. Here lies the inflection and the problem, for it is impossible to be buried with Yahushua Messiah if we do not persistently yield our members as instruments of righteousness, for this is clear and present evidence that sin is still alive. As for the children of Elohim, we do not continue in sin, for we have not only overcome our sinful nature, but we have also crucified our flesh, metaphorically, and mortified its deeds. And thus, we serve sin no longer. For we know that we cannot possibly claim to walk in the newness of life if we had not died to sin and are under the resurrection. For how can one be under the resurrection if they have not first died? And how can one die and yet be alive? Here is the conclusion of this matter and the short answer to our inquiry. To present ourselves to Elohim as alive from the dead is to live a sinless life. For we, the children of Elohim, have died to sin. And from hence, we were resurrected to walk in the newness of life, to wit, a life of power, authority, and dominion, none of which can be realized if we are yet in sin. Now, that is just the first half of the answer. The second half reveals how we achieve this major spiritual milestone in our lives. I will sum it up into three parts. One, you must overcome your sinful nature. Two, you must subdue your flesh. And three, you must mortify the deeds of your flesh. We shall be saved. Moving on, we find Shaul upon laying this firm foundation, saying, For sin shall not rule over you, for you are not under the law, but under favor. There is a key finding in this one-liner that may not be obvious, and thus I will state it as an interest point. As there was no path to salvation within the law of Moses, sin ruled over all who were under the law. This is why the law needed an escape clause to provide an adjacent path of salvation to those who were under the law and yet demonstrated faith in the promise. Enter Yahushua Messiah the seed of promise, the only brought forth son of Elohim, and our escape clause. John 3.16 reads, For Elohim 
so loved the world that he gave his only brought forth son so that everyone who believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Lo, this line perfectly captures the essence of the favor of Elohim, specifically the escape clause that did not exist under the law. And yet it applies to all who were being guarded under the law because they had faith in the promise. This is precisely why these men and women were labeled as perfect, even though they were under the law of Moses, as opposed to the Torah of perfection. It's because they believed in the seed of promise, which inspired them to follow his example as it was revealed to them by the spirit, which was before the law. Thus, we conclude the spirit of Elohim, which has been poured out upon the chosen elect in these last days, led men and women who were under the law into Yahushua's example of perfection and a sinless life, such that they, like us, would experience the restoration unto favor. Romans 5. 10 through 11 reads, For if, when we were enemies, we were restored to favor with Elohim through the death of his son, much more, having been restored to favor, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in Elohim through our master, Yahushua Messiah, through whom we have now received the restoration to favor. Not only does this passage connect the restoration of the nation of Israel to the dispensation of favor, but it also reveals A, how we are being restored, and B, how we are being saved. Consider this. We are restored by the sacrificial death of Yahushua Messiah, and we are saved by his life. This is the restoration unto favor. Here lies a critical question. Namely, what does Shaul mean when he says, we shall be saved by his life? The answer, we shall be saved if we live our lives in accordance with his life. In effect, we are not saved simply because he lived a life of perfection and overcame sin. Quite the contrary, we are saved by following his steps and living a life of perfection and overcoming sin. This is what it means to be his disciple, to follow his steps and to become one with his example. Favor has been given. These things being what they are, it is clear that the former nation of Israel experienced a prominent degree of favor 
prior to the institution of the dispensation, explicitly in lieu of the fact that they were given an escape clause and were being guarded under the law to save them from the devastating effects of sin. Here lies the inflection and the bridge that connects the first half of this powerful equation of sin versus favor to the second half. I ask you to consider the following entrance point faithfully and to bookmark it if you are led. The same way in which sin ruled over all who were under the law, sin does not rule over those who are under favor. For the intent of favor is diametrically opposed to the intent of the law. Now, if you've been paying attention, you have likely noticed how I have constantly used the word favor in place of grace. I have done so despite the fact that many Bibles use the word grace, and the term grace is largely adopted by the church circuit. And yet, there are distinct differences between favor and grace that reveal how favor is more appropriate in the context of Saul's discourse in Romans 6. This is because favor, as I have stated, is the opposing spiritual factor to the law. By definition, favor is a series of divine acts committed for the sake of one whose heart has been influenced by a bestower, and said influence is reflected in the life of the bestowed, which then leads to an increase in the divine acts. If you are in the Spirit, you should see clearly how this aligns with Shaul's message in Romans 6. To wit, favor is given to those whose hearts have been transformed which is not only confirmed by our freedom from sin, but by our willingness to then live a sinless life. This rendering of favor reveals a key matter concerning the association between favor and sin. And as you have likely guessed, I would encourage you to bookmark this interest point as well. It is impossible to be under favor and continue in sin. It's a classic non-starter. We know this because Shaul is revealing, you are servants of the one whom you obey, whether of sin to death or of obedience to righteousness. This begs the question, how can you be under favor if you are a servant to sin, and in serving sin, Yahuwah has marked you for endless death. Trust me, it is impossible, for if we continue in sin, living our lives in accordance with the desires of our flesh, we are going to die, physically and spiritually. Romans 8, 
12 through 14 reads, So then, brothers, we are not debtors to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of Elohim, these are sons of Elohim. Not only does this passage confirm that we will die if we continue in sin, but it also reveals how we come to be under favor. Vis-a-vis, -vis, we must put to death the deeds of the body, for Shaul is revealing, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live. If you recall, this is the third and most critical aspect of the three prerequisites to the resurrection and walking in the newness of life. I will restate them for your edification. One, you must overcome your sinful nature. Two, you must subdue your flesh. And three, you must mortify the deeds of your flesh. You have the power. Let's talk about grace. Like favor, grace is an authentic spiritual and scriptural model. But alas, the progressive model of grace has been misappropriated by the church circuit. Here's a question. Do you ever think about how our Bibles were translated? Specifically, the spiritual credibility of the translators? If you answered yes, that's good. For all others, allow me to tell you why you should in the form of an interest point. The various translations of the Bible are only as accurate as the spiritual credibility of the translators. That said, I am not suggesting a wholesale rejection of all Bible translations. Quite the contrary. My advice is to be led by the Spirit in your study and to have the ABP or another concordance handy. To be quite honest, this is how I conduct a scriptural study. I use the most accurate Bible I am aware of, i.e. the Scriptures Bible. And whenever the Spirit leads me to look deeper into a word or a translation for any cause, I look at multiple concordances and pray for understanding. Does this increase the time it takes for me to complete a study? You bet it does. And I assure you that it is one of the best investments of my time. For everlasting life is at stake. And what should I give in exchange for my soul? That being said, I advise you not to worry. You won't have to spend the hundreds of hours I have spent in a study. But you will need to be diligent in your prayer, fasting, and focus 
such that you can prove every word that comes out of this ministry. My dear friends, this is how Elohim designed the invisible assembly of Yahushua Messiah. This is a staple of a perfection ministry. Not all are teachers, but we all have the same spirit. And the same way I can look at various Bible translations and tell they are off, you also have the power to separate the truth from the lie. Where there is righteousness. Now, as I said before, the Christian church has hijacked the spiritual model of grace. And in doing so, they have tainted the model of grace in the minds of their followers by scriptural misappropriation. The question is, why? The answer, it is because they needed a way to justify their continuance in sin. Here again, the question is, why? The answer, it's because they know sin is a deal breaker when it comes to everlasting life. And yet, the conglomerate church has no desire to make an end of sin in their lives. Therefore, the leaders within the church circuit have distorted grace in a felonious and foolish attempt to cover their sins. And like most spiritual novices and fools, they do so because they don't have a comprehensive understanding of the word and how they are contradicting other scriptures. Proverb 28.13 reads, He who covers his sins does not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them finds mercy. This being the case, how can grace or any spiritual model outside of the precedence of atonement be applied to cover sins? At Scriptural Theology 101, you can't outrun sin. It's like a stench. It clings to you. It suffocates you. It holds you fast. It ties your hands. And it will cause you to sing faster than any quicksand. By definition, grace is an allotment of favor afforded the children of Elohim as they progressively master the Father's will, a show of the Father's divine love, care, and protection as an investment in and confirmation of our spiritual success. Lo, this definition of grace, which is validated by Strong's Hebrew and Greek dictionaries, G5485, is very similar to favor, i.e. Strong's G5484. The major difference is that favor exists on a higher spiritual plane, for grace is a derivative of favor. Along these lines, favor is equated to the universal model of goodwill, which opens the door for us to become children of Elohim. 
It is a free gift allotted to all who have been called. For Elohim foreknew that our hearts would be receptive to the good news of Yahushua Messiah. This is where grace comes in. To wit, grace is a critical component of our spiritual walk as we continue in our progressive mastery of the Father's will. Here lies the inflection and the primary difference between the spiritual models of grace and favor. You must receive it if you are to understand the people and the places of the ceiling of these set-apart ones. Please consider it faithfully. It is impossible to experience the spiritual precedence of grace if you are not under favor. Now look, it's time for a revelation. Favor is the only spiritual model which adequately addresses the overarching issue of sin. Grace, on the other hand, can be realized by the children of Elohim in a wide variety of situations, and many of these have nothing to do with sin. Like I said before, this is not an uncomplicated matter to ascertain. Here again, you're going to need to venture outside the Bible to obtain a comprehensive understanding of this complex puzzle. And you're going to need to familiarize yourself with very many concordances and books. And yet, even more importantly, you must be led by the spirit of Elohim. Remember, he is the vehicle that leads and guides us into all truth. And as you are led, you will come to see how you cannot call upon grace to cover your sins. For truly, if you do not follow the spiritual process of redemption and make an end of sin in your life, your sin in this life and in the life to come will surely find you out. Numbers 32-23 reads, But if you do not do so, then see, you shall sin against Yahuwah. And know this, your sin will find you out. This passage brings us full circle, for we can tie it to Romans 6, specifically the conclusion of this matter, which is revealing you obeyed from the heart that form of teaching to which you were entrusted. And having been set free from sin, you became servants of righteousness. Clearly, Shaul is in agreement with Moshe, for Moshe tells us if we do not obey, it is sin, and our sin will find us out. Shaul compliments him, revealing that we are made free from sin via obedience. And now are we servants of righteousness. For obedience leads us to righteousness, and where there is righteousness, there can be no sin. 
Now, here is the final word. If you want to get the job done right, you must first use the right tool. This is especially the case as it pertains to spiritual matters. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand and everlasting life is at stake. My dear friends, you should very well know by now that the religious world is filled with imposters and false believers who are deceiving themselves and wrestling with the scriptures to their own destruction. Many men and women throughout the scriptures warned us it would be this way. They told us the masses would have no love for the truth, but rather they would choose to believe in a lie. They have all the right tools at their disposal, but they refuse to use them for a host of reasons we won't discuss. For although they may have been called, they won't be chosen, and very soon they will no longer be with us. To avoid their fate, you must come to see how we are neither under the law nor under grace. We are under favor, for favor is the reason why Elohim sent his only brought forth son to redeem the chosen elect as our master, our king, and our savior. Now, here is what's next. We completed today's podcast, End Times 258, The Favor of the Nation of Israel. And the next podcast is entitled, End Times 260, Salvation Within the Sealing of the Set-Apart Ones. I will post this podcast on Monday, February 12, 2024. Until then, my friends, continue to be led by the Spirit of Elohim. Continue to watch. Continue to pray. Continue in fasting. And most of all, continue to be focused. For the end is coming. The end is near.